You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Book of Lamentations. Lamentia in the Latin, from the Vulgate, from the Septuagint. It has the idea of a funeral dirge. The Hebrew title for the book is just Eka. It's the first word of the book, how. Um, it's also, if you'll turn over to chapter 2, verse 1, how, again. You turn over to chapter 4, verse 1, how. And the idea is, how has this happened? How has this happened to Jerusalem? How has it happened to God's people? How has it happened to the place of his promise? How has it happened to the temple where his presence came and the Shekinah glory filled this place? How has it happened that the Babylonians have overcome us and the the city has been burned and the walls have been pulled down and the temples destroyed. How? Ekha in the Hebrew for the is is the title for all of this. Jeremiah, uh, tradition says, is sitting north of Jerusalem. Those of you who have just been there with us, outside the Damascus Gate, the hill that's right there. Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the skull. Of course, the Damascus Gate wasn't there then. The northern wall wasn't where it is today. But just a bit west of, on the same hill there, where Golgotha is, there's another cave structure there they found. And they call that Jeremiah's Grotto. And tradition is, is that's where Jeremiah sat looking at the city smoldering and in rubble. And he sat there and he wrote this book of Lamentations. This prophet who had been in ministry for over 40 years, from the days of Josiah, where incredible things had taken place. Remember in the days of Josiah, it was the greatest Passover that the nation had ever seen. They sacrificed more oxen and more lambs more sheep than they did under Solomon on the Passover. It was the greatest returning to the word of God and to the blood of the lamb that any king ever tried to bring to the nation. It didn't produce revival, produced reform among the people, but it was a great time for Jeremiah to see those days of Josiah, and then he just had watched the nation go on its course The first deportation in 605, Jehoiakim was carried away. He had rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel and his three friends, Mishael, Azariah, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're carried away to Babylon. The second deportation, March 597, Jerusalem is looted but not torn down, and Ezekiel is carried away in that deportation, and Jehoiachin, which you don't want to confuse with Jehoiakin in the first deportation, is carried away. The third deportation, the actual siege of Jerusalem begins January 15th, 588. Thirty months later, the walls were breached July 18th, 586. And then on August 14th, 
586, about a month after that, the city was burned, the walls were turned down, the temple was burned, all of the treasures were, were taken and carried away, and the city was leveled under Nebuchadnezzar. So Jeremiah had sat from the glory days of Josiah all the way through to the process now uh, where the city is destroyed under the hand of, the, of Nebuchadnezzar, and the times of the Gentiles now have begun. Uh, God is no longer measuring time by the by the dynasty of David and the rulers in Jerusalem. It now falls to Nebuchadnezzar, to the Babylonians, to the Medes and the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Romans, to a present day struggle to see Europe come back to the fore. You know, you see Brexit, you see everything going on in the uh, European economic community today, you see the mess that's going on. The, the Germans are not happy because the Deutschmark funds everything else and everybody else has run the money into the ground. And uh, there's a mess over there. They need somebody to come on the scene, a brilliant man, a messiah, somebody to straighten everything out, you know. You have the EU rising, now you have a disaster, and the stage is set now, you know, for the Antichrist to come and to coalesce everything over there. So the, the, the players are on the table, but, but this is when the times of the Gentiles begins. Jeremiah's cry is, how? How did this happen? Eka, you know. And he sits there, and, and the Spirit of the Lord pours through him. There are times when Jeremiah is speaking, times it seems Jerusalem itself is crying out, and times, no doubt, when the Lord is speaking as we look at these things. Now, the destruction of Jerusalem, Second Kings 25, Second Chronicles 36, Jeremiah 39, 52, significant things are repeated over and over in the scripture, and no doubt this great lesson to be learned. Uh, the other reason that we know it's a great lesson to be learned is you study the chapters here. They're in acrostic form. Uh, there's 22 verses in chapter 1, 22 chapters, 22 verses in chapter 2, 66 verses in chapter 3, then uh, 22 and 4 and 22 and 5 again. And the acrostic is there were 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So each verse starts with A, then the next one starts with B, then C in, the, in our alphabet. You know, you're a little kid, you, you learned A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And when you want to do the alphabet now, you have to sing it or you don't know it, you know. <laughs> you know. So, so there's an acrostic form here, and there's an acrostic form because it was to be committed to memory. You know, these laments, you know, because, because God is going to carry... Jerusalem and Judah into captivity for 70 years, but he's going to restore them. And he wants his people never to forget what has taken place. He wants them, as he always says, to teach their children and let their children teach their children's children. And the acrostic form is the easy way to memorize this lament of what has happened to Jerusalem. Now, chapter 1, 22 verses, acrostic. Chapter 2, 22 verses, acrostic. Chapter 3 is 66 verses, and it goes like this. Verses 1, 2, and 3, A. Verses 4, 5, and 6, B. So it's every three verses the letter changes. Chapter 4 is an acrostic again. Chapter 5 is 22 verses, but no acrostic. 
And it's interesting, three of the chapters end with a prayer, and all of chapter 5 is a prayer. And that's probably why it is an acrostic, because it wasn't to be memorized the same way. The whole chapter is is an appeal and a pleading with the Lord. So uh, really an interesting, interesting book uh, in the middle of, of these major prophets in the Old Testament, Uh, Chapter 1 gives us Jerusalem's destruction. Chapter 2 is Jehovah's anger. Chapter 3 is Jehovah, Jerusalem's grief itself. Chapter 4, Jehovah's anger again. And chapter 5, Jerusalem's cry or prayer to uh, crying out to the Lord. Uh, Interesting, this book goes into the poetic books, the Megaloth in the Old Testament, um, so you you have Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, um, Esther, um, and and there are feasts that go along with them. Um, for uh, the Song of Solomon was read during the Passover. It's a song of God's love. Um, then. Um, Lamentations is read during my, I'm I'm losing my eyesight here. Uh, Ecclesiastes during Tabernacle, Esther during Purim, Lamentations is always on August 14th, which was the day of the destruction uh, of Jerusalem, and Ruth is always read during the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, because of the harvest scene and everything. So all of these even poetic books, had a context that helped the Jewish people and remember them. So as we, as we step into it, remember this. Jeremiah had predicted this for 40 years. Okay, But when it actually happens, he's appalled. Look, we're Christians. We, we, we talk about what we believe. All of us. We know that there's a day coming when all of us, if the Lord tarries, will take our last breath. Okay? We all know that nobody ever dies of good health. So we're all headed there. And you can say that about your mom, your dad. You know they're going to go to heaven. But when the day actually comes, there's a part of that you can never prepare for. When you watch your father take his last breath, or your child, or or someone. There's something in that moment that's wrong, too. God never intended, when he made us as image bearers, to be ruled by mortality and frailty and death. So, you know, Jeremiah here had spoken the word of God for 40 years and was clear in his predictions and now that when it takes place, he's he's weeping. He's sitting probably, if it's the tradition's true, in Jeremiah's grotto, and he's overwhelmed that the very thing he said would take place has come to pass. And we're living in prophetic times. It's important for us to realize the reality of the things we say we believe that are all around us. Here's how it begins. How? How doth the city sit solitary 
that was full of people. How, how can this happen? How How is the city sitting like this, solitary, that was filled with people? How has she become a widow? She that was great among the nations, princes among the provinces, how is she become a tributary? Why is she paying taxes now to someone else? How has this happened? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none that comforts her. You know, she had she had thought that she could depend on all these other nations. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. And, and in all of this, Jehovah is the only one that's going to remain, remain faithful. He's the one that will ultimately restore in 70 years. And Judah and Jerusalem are learning that lesson. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction, because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. She was taken and run down and carried captive. The ways of Zion do mourn, because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. There's no pilgrims. It's a solitary place. We were just, those of you who were just on the trip with us, you know, uh, you, you, you ride the bus up from the area of the Dead Sea, the lowest place on the face of the earth, to Jerusalem, 2,500 feet above sea level, and it's up and up and up and up, and you read in the book of Psalms, the songs of ascent, the psalms of ascent that they sang as they ascended. And there would be crowds of people joyfully singing these psalms, traveling together so they'd be safe from robbers and so forth. And now he's saying it's Zion mourns. There's none that come to the feast. There's no songs of ascent being sung. It's all silent. There's no pilgrims. She's in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. Reason for the Lord hath afflicted her. The reason for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. So now as we as we move into this, we start to see some of the results of sin. As this is written in acrostic form, and young Hebrew children were to memorize this, one of the certainly the first lessons they're to learn from the book of Lamentations is that sin always leads to captivity. Listen to it tonight. Sin always leads to captivity. Sin never leads to greater freedom. People think if I break away from the word, if I get out of that, if I don't have to put up with their mouth, if I get away from these Bible thumpers, I go out there and do what I, if I can, you know, fit in with the rest of the world. I don't have to be this judgmental Christian. I go out there. Let me tell you something. Compromise and sin lead to bondage. They never lead to freedom. That's not what freedom is. You're not free till you've found the right master in your life. But thinking that you'll be free by breaking the bondage of of what you you know God's law 
at God's word, you think there's freedom beyond that. Sin always leads to captivity. It never leads to freedom. Never. And it can be very deceptive at first. You know, the book of Romans says that, you know, that that God is long-suffering and his goodness should lead us to repentance. But people misinterpret his long-suffering as his approval. So someone's living in sin with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Somebody's, you know, you know, taking money in, in some kind of circumstance. Somebody's doing something. And, and their first story is, hey, God knows he's blessing us. He's prospering us. You know, just, no, no, that's not what's happening. The Bible says you're running out of room. That's what's happening. But God is long-suffering. You know, and look, you and I as Christians are no longer relating to Jehovah God under the law of Moses and having judgment and punishment come upon us the way that God moved relative to man's performance. We are now in a covenant of grace and God relates to us as children, blood-bought. That doesn't mean that we're free to do whatever we want. He doesn't punish us now, but he does discipline us. And he does chasten us. And he never gives us a situation where we can take for granted. You know, his grace is not liberty or license for the flesh. And in a family relationship as our father, he wants the best for us. So first thing we see here, it says here, they've been afflicted the multitude of their because of the multitude of their transgressions, and because of that my people are gone into captivity before their enemy. Then he says, and from the daughter of Zion, look, all her beauty is departed. No doubt he's remembering the days of Josiah, the glory days of Jerusalem, but it says that sin steals something from us. It takes something away from us. And it says all her beauty is departed. You know, it's funny. You see somebody who's walking with the Lord, even if they're going through really difficult times, if they remain faithful to Jesus and they're yielded to his spirit and they're, and they're in his word, the Bible uses the word countenance. And there's something about the light that's on their face. There's something about, you know, Johnny Erickson, when she comes here, blows my mind. Because she's sitting up there in that wheelchair. She'd gone through her chemotherapy for the cancer she had. She has her husband straighten her up so she can breathe. And she's glowing. She is glowing. She, she loves Jesus. You just sense his presence, you know. So, so people... You know, that, that are true to him, there's no beauty taken away from them. Yes, there's struggle. Yes, there's difficulty. But how many of you and I, we, we know saints that have gone on with the Lord. They've remained true. They've gone through tremendous difficulty. And you love to be around them because they're just something, you know, the, the love of Christ is shed abroad in their hearts. It, sa- it says here when it talks about them that their beauty has departed. Sin is a thief. It, it takes away from us. It says her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture, like deer that are looking for pasture, and they can't find any satisfaction. As the deer panteth after the water brook, David said, so panteth my soul after thee. That's a good thing. 
It's a good thing if in the deepest part of our being we can say, like David says, Lord, as the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O Lord. That's the attitude of heart we want to have. But in our panting after him, we want to find him and be satisfied. And David says, you know, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack no good thing. He leadeth me beside still waters. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He takes me where sheep are happy and want to be. You know, here it says they're like deer that can't find any pasture. That's what sin does. It never satisfies. It promises, but it leaves you hungry. It never satisfies. And then it says they are gone without strength. It it steals. It takes away our fortitude and our commitment, our strength. We feel like throwing up our arms. Think of Samson. You know, you think of what what he did. You think of the, the natural strength that he had. But you think about his weakness that took him down and, and took away his real strength, which was with the Lord. You know, you think of Delilah, you know, and you think, how could you be such a sucker and go for that? You know, you know, what's the secret of your strength? Eh, if I'm tied up with, you know, seven green cords, you know. And understand this in your life. Whatever Delilah is in your life, she'll take what you'll give her. And if you give her seven green cords, that's what she'll take. And every time you give a little more, she'll take that. You know, sin takes our strength. You know, it says here that they're without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and her miseries all her pleasant things. So so sin produces affliction, it produces misery, and it says it produces regret. She remembers all of the good things. Oh man, those days remember. She's in great regret. And sin does that. Look, I don't know anybody... I've been doing this for over 40 years that has entered into deliberate and willful rebellion against the Lord and sin who comes out the other side saying, wow, this is great. They come out, as it says here, afflicted, miserable, and with great regret. What did I do? If I, I, I If I could turn back the clock... One day I would give my right arm. What did I destroy? How did I do this? Was I thinking or not thinking? And it says here, Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and in her miseries all of her pleasant things. There's great regret. Sin destroys. Five, six, and seven. There's just, there's no, there's no, there's just, it's just obvious. All of her pleasant things that she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the enemy and none did help her, the adversary saw her and did mock at her Sabbath. And that's the final thing that happens when a Christian sins. It gives opportunity for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. That's ultimately what happens. And I see it. I've seen it this week. I'm seeing it when someone who supposedly has a reputation for standing for the Lord soils and destroys that reputation with sin, the enemy 
mocks. It's just what happens. It's just what happens. He mocks. And here it it says the very thing. And it says, her adversary saw her and did mock at her Sabbath. They made fun of her. Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she hath, um, she sigheth and turneth backwards. She just done, she's given up, not what she was. Her filthiness is in her skirts. Now, it doesn't mean that she needs to get some Tide or something, do her wash. If you look over in verse 17, it says there, Jerusalem is as a menstruous woman among them. You can read the law, a woman uh, during her menses, during her period, was considered unclean. And there was a law of separation where she had to be separated. And he's saying that's what Jerusalem's like right now. She's defiling to anybody who would get involved. And because of the law of separation, God has carried her away. She's unclean. There's filthiness in her skirts. Um, She remembereth not her last end. Therefore, she came down wonderfully is like in in awe. It's not wonderful like it's wonderful, but it's filled with wonder and awe and fear the way she's come down and been destroyed. She had no comforter. You know, know, in our own lives, we grieve the Holy Spirit. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy enemy hath magnified himself. So, interesting, it says she remembereth that's a continuing process, not her last end. I mean, it is the responsibility of every Christian to remember the end. We're all headed somewhere. There's a destiny. You know, we're not just headed to a place, we're headed to an image. We're being conformed in the image and likeness of God's Son. We have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, that is stamped on my brain. We're to set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. You and I daily are to remember our last end. Now I'm hoping, because I'm selfish, that our last end will be together at the sound of a trumpet and that we will blast off together. I'm, I'm, I'm just that selfish, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go now. I'm glad till God waited till 1972 because that's when I get saved. But now that I'm in the heck with everybody else, I would just blow the trumpet and get me out of here, you know. Uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. But I'm looking at the world and I'm thinking, well, can this go five more years? Can this go ten more years? Can this possibly, you know, bumble on the way that it's going? And 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 you know. The way the culture mocks God these days, and God won't be mocked. He won't be mocked. It says, She remembered not her last end. She didn't, Jeremiah was there, warn her. She had the prophets every day speaking to her. She went anything to do with it. And it says, Her enemies end up magnifying themselves against her. The adversary has spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things, for she has seen that. The heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter into thy congregation. All her people sigh, 
They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for food to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Just the, the, the crying out. And in verse 12, it seems now, and it's hard to tell. This is Hebrew poetry. It seems that Jerusalem herself now begins to cry out. It is nothing to you, all ye that pass by. Like, you don't understand, you know, Jerusalem saying, you have no idea what's happened within me. All you that pass by is nothing to you. Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the days of his fierce anger. And aren't you glad that you and I will never have to face the days of his fierce anger? Anger, because one fear faced those days on our behalf and cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And came under the very wrath of God for us. We may face his chastening because he's a father and it says, it says a son or a daughter that is not chastened. They're not really belonging to him. Uh, but I am so thankful that you and I will never have to face his fierce anger. Uh, Jerusalem crying out, From above hath he sent fire into my bones, and it prevailed against them. He has spread a net for my feet. He hath turned me back. He hath made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand. They are um, wreathed, they're woven together, and they come upon my neck. He hath made my strength to fall. The Lord hath delivered me into their hands, from whom I am not able to rise up. Jerusalem had been leveled. The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. Isn't it interesting, Jerusalem herself speaking like that. The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. He hath called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a winepress. For these things I weep. You know, we hear when Cain killed Abel that the ground itself would cry out and give testimony. Here Jerusalem, you know, says, For these things I weep. My eye, my eye runneth down with water. Because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. Sometimes when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we can kind of sense that. My children are desolate because the enemy has prevailed. Zion spreadeth forth her hands, and there is none to comfort her. The Lord hath commanded concerning Jacob that his adversaries should be round about him. Jerusalem is as a menstruous woman among them, unclean, separated. The Lord is righteous. Isn't it interesting now? This is not his fault. For I have rebelled against his commandment. Or the Hebrews literally, I have rebelled against his mouth. And certainly Jeremiah was his mouthpiece for 40 years speaking in the city. He said, Jerusalem herself says, I have rebelled against his mouth. He, and, and here's the lesson. Look, this is why it's 
It's learned and memorized by Hebrew children, the, the lesson of the book of Lamentation. Here, I pray you all people. It doesn't say see. There's no, they don't have smoke machines. and there's, It's here. God has ordained the hearing of the word, that is it, the spoken word. Here, I pray you all people, and behold, consider, think about this, my sorrow, my virgins, my young men are gone into captivity. Jerusalem herself saying, look, you need to hear this. You need to hear this lament, this funeral dirge. You need to understand. You need to behold. You need to consider. Isn't it interesting? The cities saying, you need to consider what's happened within me. Again, those of you who are just, just in Jerusalem with us a few weeks ago, you see all those stones where Jesus said not one stone would be upon another that would not be thrown down. And they're preaching. They're laying their mute testimony, preaching the word of God never fails. The word of God will endure forever. You know, they're just, they're speaking. And here Jerusalem herself saying the Lord is righteous. Understand that. These terrible things that have happened here. I've rebelled against his word. Here I pray you all people. There's a lesson here. Behold my sorrow. Consider what great sorrow has taken place here. My virgins, my young men, they're gone into captivity. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. Now God compared Israel, uh, Judah, to an adulterous wife who was committing sexual sin with Moab and Ammon, with Assyria, with Egypt and so forth, and with their gods. She, she said, I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priest and my elders gave up the ghost in the city. They're laying in the city dead while they sought their food to relieve their souls. It was famine. There was great tragedy. Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. My heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the sword bereaveth in the fields outside the city, the sword is taking life. At home, uh, there is as death. And here within the walls, people were dying. They have heard that I sigh. There is none to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that thou hast done it. Thou wilt bring the day that thou hast called and they shall be like unto me. Interesting, Jerusalem says, Lord, there is a day coming that you spoke of when you're going to do to my enemies what you've done to me, Lord. Thou wilt bring the day that thou hast called, because God has kept them within a covenant bond, even in the midst of this judgment. Interesting, the city proclaiming this. Thou wilt bring the day that thou hast called, and they, the enemies, shall be like unto me. Their turn is going to come. If judgment begins at the house of God, it moves then outside of that. Let all their wickedness come before thee, and do unto them as thou hast done unto me for all my transgressions. For my sighs are many, sighing, heartache, and my heart is faint. And I'm going to knock out chapter 2. We're, we're moving at warp speed here to get through the chapters of depression. As we come into chapter 2 now, again, acrostic form, 
And it's, it's speaking of Jehovah's anger. We had heard kind of Jerusalem's cry, the description of their sin. Now there's a picture of the anger uh, of Jehovah, verses 1 to 12, that anger is described. And then verses 13 to 22, Jerusalem herself is exhorted, is challenged. And, and you know, it's an interesting, you know, journey as we go through. Look, um, twice in the first chapter, uh, we have this word here, if you, if you look, uh, in, in verse 6, from the daughter of Zion. Over in verse 15, we hear the daughter of Judah. And now, in... Uh, in this chapter, verse 1, daughter. Verse 2, daughter. Uh, verse 4, daughter. Verse 8, daughter. Verse 10, daughter. Verse 11, daughter. Verse 13, daughter twice. Uh, verse 15, daughter. Verse 18, daughter. Uh, again, over and over. In fact, 18 times in Lamentations, God either speaks of the daughter of my people the daughter of Judah, the daughter of Jerusalem, the daughter of Zion. And and understand, here he is in his anger, and, and he's looking at his people and the city in this context. You know? Um, I, have, I have two sons, two daughters. We didn't plan that. It happened. And there's something that goes on between a father and a son. That that there's a context there that nobody else on this planet fits into. You know, my whole life, both my boys, I said, you know, you, I'm the only man on this planet that's ever going to get to hear you say, Dad. That's my privilege. And I'm the only man on this ball of dirt you're going to hear Say, son. Sons are something, but daughters are something else. I mean, I have this great knife collection. The reason I have it is because when my girls were little, I used to make a joke all the time when I was teaching them the Bible and said, if anybody wants to date one of my daughters, I'm going to let them see my knife collection. People believed me that I had a knife collection, and people started to give me knives. People have sent me knives from around the country that are, that are knife makers. I really have some nice knives now. And I thought, I, I should have said, I'm gonna, I'll show you my Krugeran collection, you know. Uh, but, you know, a daughter, you know, is different than a son. And, and you look at your daughter, you know, because I came out of the world, you know, so, so I am suspicious of every man because I think they're all like I was, you know. Uh, you know, and your daughter is something completely different. And God is talking here to his people and to Jerusalem about his anger, about what's necessary for him to do in 18 times. He says, oh, daughter. Of Jerusalem, daughter of my people, daughter of Zion, daughter. You know, I think of Hannah, I think of Joanna, you know. 
you know. Any of you have daughters? Any of you still have single daughters? Pray for you. Weddings are expensive. I'll pray for you guys. But, you know, you think, I don't I, I have never looked at my daughter like I think other men might look at my daughter. I see something completely different. I see her beauty. I see her depth. I see her sensitivity of spirit. I see her wisdom. And you come around my daughter, I know that's not what you're looking at. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, you can't help doing that, but, but that's a good thing too. But 18 times, daughter. He uses it more than that, but sometimes he talks about the daughter of Edom and so forth, which is not his own people. But you think in all of this anger and all of this great emotion that Jehovah expresses, 18 times he calls the sinning people his daughter. You know, we only understand relationships because God had relationships before the world was formed. It's, it's, It's one of the capacities that he builds into us as we are image bearers. I'll tell you one of the tragedies about it. I just lately have been doing a lot of flying. You know, you you land at the airport and you go to the baggage claim. And you look around and every single person is doing this. Nobody's looking at each other, talking to each other. You know, I've been to a restaurant and you see a family sitting there and everybody's doing this. The kids, the parents, you know. I heard a guy talking last week and he was talking about bars. And he said, it used to be that people would go to a bar and sit at the bar and have a beer together or a shot and a beer together and pour out their heart and talk about the day or what's going on. He said, now you go to the bar, nobody talks, everybody does this, nobody talks to each other. Just, we have, we have, we have uh, you know, there's a, great, um, there's a great thing on TED Talks, if you've ever watched TED Talks. And it's a PhD from MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And she does a TED Talk called Together Alone. And she just says, you know, I was at MIT when computers came out. And we all laughed. What are we going to do? Because we all had day timers. She said, what are we going to do? We don't need those for a calendar because we got our day timer. We don't, need to, we don't need those for phone numbers. We all got and she said, and of course, the years have gone by, and now nobody can live without their mobile device. And she said, understand, the best app that your mobile device has is you. It has a hold of your brain. We just talked to somebody this week from Microsoft. And they said, the guys from Apple, Microsoft, as they got into this, they realized, what are we doing to the next generation? What are we doing to their children? What have we let loose? And the more devious part of those brilliant people have realized we can influence world thought by what we're doing. You know, when that stupid Pokemon thing came out, you remember that? We had people walking into our church that don't worship here on their thing. We said, excuse me, can I help you? I'm, yeah, there's one of those things in here. I think, get out of here. You know, just, you know. You know that the Israelis had to tell the Israeli army they weren't allowed to play Pokemon. I mean, they're living in a country where Egypt's on the south, Jordan's on the, you know, the east, and they got uh, Hezbollah on the north, and they have to tell their own military, don't play Pokemon, watch your monitors. You're supposed to be keeping us safe, you know. Just... 
Google knows more about us than anybody on the planet except God. And we were meant, again, I got saved in 1972. You know, we would go to church and just sit there and listen to Chuck. He would talk and we would listen. And when cassettes came out, we thought we were in Star Trek. Cassettes, you know. Because in those days, you would sit there and listen to him. That was a face and this was a book. That was Facebook. The guy talking had a face, and the book in your hand was the book. That was Facebook. You know, now we're disengaged. Watch her thing called Together Alone. And she says the first generation, you know, kindergarten kids, at the end of the day, come running out of school. And it used to be parents were waiting for them. How you doing? Now they come running out, and their parents is doing this, you know, just even in the car. And he said what they're doing is they're teaching them to do that to their kids. And we are disengaged. The innate, remarkable ability that a human being has is to look into the eyes of another human being to discern whether they're being genuine, to listen to the tone of their voice. Huge. You know, again, I encourage people here, don't email on the other end if it's a touchy situation. Walk a hundred yards Look them in their face. Talk to them face to face so the enemy doesn't help them interpret what your email says. Right? And the church should be better in that than anybody, you know, because we're, we're the ones that are going to Houston. We're the ones, you know, going to Puerto Rico. We're the ones going, you know, to North Philly, going to where people are broken down, looking into somebody's face, going to the hospital to visit somebody, spending time praying with people, praying for our kids, our marriages, our homes. You know, God here 18 times in his anger, his despair, his need to be who he is in his holiness with his people 18 times, his daughter daughter he's longing for relationship and he's made humans to excel in that above everything else you know the cows may all be in the field mooing they ain't having a conversation i don't care what anybody says trees and tomato plants do not like classical music don't give me that stuff we've lost our minds we're you know we're communicating with the tomato plants and we ain't communicating with the person sitting next to us you know so, so uh, you know here's god he pours out his heart uh, in this chapter so take that in mind because it's a difficult chapter as as we as we jump in here again how to this is the, the title of the book how hath the lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud of his anger and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger. And, and we hear anger or wrath eight times in this chapter. The Lord hath swallowed up all the habitations of Jacob and hath not pitied. He hath thrown down his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He hath brought them down to the ground. He hath polluted the kingdom and the princes thereof. He hath cut off 
in his fierce anger, all the horn of Israel, the horn was the symbol of authority, all the authority of Israel, he hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he hath burned against Jacob. Please take note what it says. He hath burned against Jacob like a flaming fire. doesn't say that he is one like that, which devoureth round about. He hath bent his bow, look, like an enemy. He is not Jerusalem's enemy. He is not Judah's enemy, but he has bent his bow like an enemy. He is faithful to them within the context of a covenant, and he'll restore them. But he's making comparisons. He hath bent his bow like an enemy. He stood with his right hand as an adversary, but he's not their adversary. He wanted them to flourish and to prosper. It's his daughter. It's not his adversary. He, he, he stood with his right hand as an adversary and slew all that, that, were, that were pleasant uh, to the eye in the tabernacle of the daughter of Zion. He poured out his fury like fire. The Lord was as, he wasn't one, but he was as an enemy. He hath swallowed up Israel. He hath swallowed up all her palaces. He hath destroyed his strongholds. He hath increased in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation, the title of our book. And he hath violently taken away his tabernacle as if it were a garden. He could just remove it. He hath, he hath destroyed his places of the assembly. The Lord hath caused the solemn feasts and the Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion, and hath despised in the indignation of his anger the king and the priest. The Lord hath cast off his altar. He hath abhorred his sanctuary. I mean, they were worshiping other gods there and so forth. He hath given up into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of the solemn feast. The Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He hath stretched out a line... He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying, therefore. He hath made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languish together. Now he has stretched out a line, it says. He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying, therefore, because he's measured it. It says this in Revelation chapter 11. And it says, And there was given to me, Revelation 11, 1, a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, measure the temple of God and the altar, and most importantly, and them that worship therein. God never just worships the, uh, measures the building, measures the facility. He measures those that worship therein. And the Lord says here, look, it says, The Lord hath purpose to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion because he stretched out his line like a surveyor. He doesn't this, you know, not just losing his temper and flipping, he's not having a, t- a temper tantrum. He, he's measured this, you know, faithfully and diligently. He, all of his judgments are true, they're pure. 
He has stretched out a line. He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languish together. Her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her kings and her princes are among the Gentiles. have been carried away. The law is no more. It wasn't being kept when they were there. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. And Jeremiah said that would happen. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence. They have cast up dust upon their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. Mine eyes do fail with tears. Now, this is Hebrew poetry. You read through the scholars. Is this Jehovah speaking in verse 11? It doesn't seem like it. Is it Jerusalem? It could be. Is this Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, now interjecting? But but the sadness, the the brokenness, the mourning over all of this. Mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth. Now that's poetic language. Who could write anything that beautiful? My liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter now of my people. Uh, That has to be Jerusalem or Jehovah. Because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? Where is the food? When they swooned as the wounded in the streets of the city. Now, look, it seems so cruel, but remember... In Jerusalem, they were worshiping Molech, and they were sacrificing their children to that God, burning them alive in the in the fires in the valley of Hin- the sons of Hinnom. And now the Lord says, "Well, what you wanted and what you did, now it's come." The children have swooned like they're wounded in the streets of the city when their soul was poured out unto their mother's bosom. What thing shall I take to witness for thee? What shall I liken to thee, O daughter of Jerusalem? You think of a father speaking to his daughter. What what am I supposed to do? How can I explain this? What am I supposed to put forth? What shall I equal to thee that I may comfort thee, O virgin daughter of Zion? For thy breach is great like the sea. Who can heal thee? Thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee. And they, please notice, they have not discovered thine iniquity. To discover is to uncover. He says your prophets, those who were in your midst that were supposed to speak the truth of God's word to you, they were supposed to call sin, sin. And they didn't call sin, sin. And whenever the pulpit doesn't do that today, whenever people who call themselves the messengers of the Lord today don't tell the truth about what the Scripture says, they don't do any good for God's people. 
You know, to speak the truth in love is what Jesus Christ did. That's what he commands us to do as we're being conformed into his image and likeness. It says, their prophets, they have not uncovered the iniquity of the people. They hadn't bring it out in the open, and they weren't honest about it. To turn away thy captivity, that's what would have happened. But have seen for thee false burdens, causes of banishment. All that pass by clap their hands at thee. They hiss and they wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Imagine a father seeing his daughter sit there in ashes and beaten down and broken and people walking by his daughter mocking. They wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem saying, Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king, and so forth, the joy of the whole earth. All thine enemies have opened their mouth against thee. They hiss and gnash the teeth. They say, notice this, the Babylonians particularly, we have swallowed thee up. They're going to put the we in here too many times. We, we, we. That's wrong. It's not true. They didn't swallow her up. This is the hand of the Lord. Verse 17, look, it says, The Lord hath done that which he has devised. It's not Nebuchadnezzar, not the Babylonians, but this is what the enemies say. They hiss, they gnash their teeth. Verse 16, We have swallowed her up. Certainly this is the day that we looked for. We have uh, found and we have seen it. Not true. Is verse 17? No, it says, It's the Lord that hath done, which he hath devised. Look, he hath fulfilled his word. And he always does. Aren't you glad? Because he says to us, you're justified, you're sanctified, and you're glorified. But Lord, I'm Joe Rockhead. I'm all jacked up. He says, you're justified, you're sanctified, you're glorified. Because he's the God that calls things that are not as though they were, it tells us in the book of Romans. He's the God that was, is, and is to come. Because he's the God that was, he says you're justified. Because he's the God that is, he says you're sanctified. Because he's the God that is to come, he says you're glorified. He sees you in all three places. Isn't it wonderful? That he always keeps his word. He hath fulfilled his word. So we will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of the eye at the last trump. You know, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who sleep, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. Since, not if, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even those who have gone to be with Christ will God bring with him. The Lord himself will descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, them which we remain and are alive will be caught up to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the commandment of Scripture. Comfort, the blessed hope is not to beat up the bride before the honeymoon. The blessed hope is to be taken and carried across the threshold by the bridegroom. He hath fulfilled his word.
That's what we depend on and breathe in and live on. That he had commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down, he hath not pitied. He hath caused thine enemy to rejoice over thee. He hath set up the horn of thine adversaries, their authority, their power. Their heart cried unto the Lord. Listen, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river day and night. Isn't that interesting? Give thyself no rest. Let not the apple of thy eye cease. O wall. There's a cry to a wall. Let tears run down. You know the wailing wall in Jerusalem. Certainly the Jews like to just say openly. And it's true. It's called the wailing wall because that's where they come to weep. But it is also called the wailing wall because the limestone emits Liquid and, and it actually runs down on the walls. The other reason it's called the Wailing Wall. And it says here, let tears run down like a river of this wall. In one of my favorite verses in Ezra chapter 9 says this, verse 9, For we were bondmen, yet our God, now this is after all this. Remember, remember, remember this is the post-exile. So Ezra is talking about something that happens after Lamentations. And Ezra says, For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. Who are the kings of Persia? Come on, you prophecy people. Who's Persia? Iran. Thank you very much. You, you, have, you have extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? And that's what they have today. It's all they have is the wall. To give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Here their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river day and night. Give thyself no rest. Let not the apple of thine eye cease. Now listen, please. This is important for us. Ah. We're going to do this. Arise, listen, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thine hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. Parents, grandparents, please listen. Arise, cry out in the night. Do you get up on behalf of your kids and your grandkids? Are you willing to get out of bed a little early in the morning to do your devotions, to pray for your kids, to pray for your grandkids? The Lord is crying over the city. It's his daughter. It's his daughter 18 times. Here he says, arise, cry out in the night. In the beginning of the watches, pour out your heart. Like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up your hands. Look towards him for the life of your young children. Pour out your hearts. Get out of bed. Get alone. Pour out your hearts for the life of your children. 
It says, for they faint for hunger. Think of the diet the culture is giving them today. And think of what they're feeding on. And think how far from reality so much of it is. And think what they're taught to believe that's an illusion. You know, parents, you know, we have to believe that the that prayer makes a difference. We have a God, a prayer hearing God, and a prayer answering God. That's who we worship. A prayer hearing God and a prayer answering God. We're told that if we, Jesus said, if you go to the Father in my name and you pray anything according to, to his will, you'll have the petitions that you ask. Here God says, we know it's his will. Arise. Take the time. Give an extra hour on your knees or half an hour for your kids. Cry out. Get out of bed. Pour out your heart. Lift up your hands towards the Lord for the life of your children. Because, listen, we are, you know, it's a stacked deck. You know, we're outmanned and we're outgunned, except spiritually. The Lord is greater. The Lord is greater. Is there a generation that still believes that? And will we do it? Lift up your hands so you never realize that prayer makes a difference until you enter into it. It's a mystery to me. I don't know how it works. He tells me I should cry out and seek him. And then he says, before I say anything, he already knows what I'm going to say. Before the words of my mouth. And yet he tells me to say it anyway. And to say it in the name of Jesus. Look, he initiates, right? He's the one who says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. He's the asker. He asks us to ask. He initiates. And it's ask and keep on asking. And it will continue to be given to you. Seek and continue to seek. You'll continue to find. Knock and continue to reverently knock. And it shall be opened to you. And he initiates that. Here, wonderfully, he says, cry out, lift up your hands for the life of your children that faint for hunger. Think of what the world is feeding them every day. In the last few verses here, Jerusalem, it seems, crying out again, Behold, O Lord, and consider to whom thou hast done this. Shall the women eat their fruit? The Old Testament prophesied in Deuteronomy that if they sinned against God, they'd end up eating their own children. And children, a span long, that's, a, that's all their life's going to be. Shall the priest and the prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? The young and the old lie on the ground in the streets. My virgins and my young men are fallen by the sword. Thou hast slain them in the day of thine anger. Thou hast killed and not pitied. Thou hast called as in a solemn day my terrors round about, so that in the day of the Lord's anger none escaped, none remained. Those that I have swaddled, and brought up, hath mine enemy consumed. Isn't that a nice, depressing place to end right there? You know, the enemy's consumed. Listen, the, the, we head into the next chapter, which is 66 verses. All the acrostics are tripled. And the word hope is used eight times. You need to read into the next chapter. Because here it says, Jerusalem's crying, they're all consumed. They're consumed. Let me read beginning in verse 21 in chapter 3. 
This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The the last verse we read here said they're all consumed. It is of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Isn't that a great sweet thing to mix in all of this bitterness. So, you know, if the Lord tarries, and I hope he doesn't, but if he does, read ahead, you know, and next week we'll head into this third chapter, and there's some remarkable, remarkable things in there. Uh, lessons for tonight, you know, just, just remember, God will always fulfill his word. Sin brings us into captivity. Sin steals from us anything that's beautiful. Sin takes our strength. Sin takes our pasturing it never satisfied. Sin afflicts. It makes us miserable. And it leaves us lamenting, grieving, wish we ha- wishing what we had th- that we used to have before. And it puts the enemies of God in a place where they can blaspheme his name. The word of God will always be fulfilled. So for you and I, look, we don't have to be subject to sin. doesn't mean we never make mistakes. I go AWOL for about five minutes once in a while. Then I return to my right mind and come running back and, and hold on to my Savior. You know, it doesn't mean that we, we never make a mistake. Or never, but the idea is our return needs to be quick. Our repentance needs to be immediate. There's always an open door. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We have an advocate. We have an open door. We have something that nobody in Israel at this time, not even Jeremiah, realized. So let's stay faithful in these last days. There's not going to be a big crowd that approves of that. Narrows the way that leads to eternal life. Few there be that find it. Broad is the way that goes to destruction. Many there be that go thereon. It says in the book of Revelation, when the Antichrist comes, multitudes, nations, kindreds, and tongues will marvel after the beast, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. It's not the most popular road, but it's the only one that goes somewhere. Let's stick to it. Amen. And let's tell as many other people about it as we can while we have the opportunity. Let's stand and pray. Let's not be depressed. We're headed to a great place. And then we're going to Ezekiel after that if the Lord tarries. So, Father, we thank you for these things. Lord, you're so good to warn us, Lord. We, we think of raising our own daughters, Lord, telling them don't play in the street. Don't put that in your eye. Don't put your hand in the fire. Lord, we, we've told all of our kids the same things because we love them so dearly, Lord. We've chastened our kids when they've been disobedient and rebellious, Lord. We, we hear your heart, Lord, as you speak to your people, and we understand it because we love our own. Lord, make us wise. We, we know you have given your own son, Lord. You so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. That's us. So, so, so that we just need to believe to have everlasting life. Father, we ask 
that you instruct us, that you lead us, that you make these things written so long ago in a different context, make them applicable to our lives. Lord, fill us tonight afresh with your spirit. Send us away with embers stirred in our heart, Father, with flame there by the power of your spirit, by the truth of your word. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.